Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Street Profits Podcast. I'm your host Luke and I'm excited to be here with you today. So we have a, we have a guest here today with us. He's a friend of mine named Marcus that I've met through uh, church groups and such. We've done a couple together and uh, brought Marcus on with us today because he has a very, very powerful testimony that I'd like everyone to hear and uh, maybe sharing some of the spots and things that he's been through in his life. Maybe it could help someone listening to this podcast. So with that being said, Marcus, welcome. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Luke. I appreciate the uh, warm introduction, man. I just have to say that it's honestly a honor to be here, you know, um, yeah, I've been listening to your podcast since we started um Freedom Together back in March. And um you know, it's just it's it's been a it's been a um a real helping factor in my life, you know, as I continue to go through my day to day, you know. Yes, sir. So Marcus, where um how old are you, brother? I'm twenty five. Twenty five. Yes, sir. Okay. And where are you from? I'm originally from Jackson. It's a complicated story there. Okay. okay. We'll start where, where I was born. It was and I was born here in Jacksonville, Florida. Um downtown at uh, Memorial Hospital. And then um you know, was spent the first two or so years of my life, quick two years, um, right off of Eighth and Spearing Street downtown. And um you know, we lived with my grandmother and, you know, my grandfather at the time. And, um, eventually we found our way to Lottie, Lottie, Florida. And, um, that, that lasted for about another five years. And I found myself in Stark. And then, uh, from there, I moved to Atlanta, moved to Atlanta at the age of, uh, 15. I'll backtrack a little bit. I moved to Tennessee as well, Mount Juliet. Let me mention that. That was a brief stint in the life. It was from about six to seven. Okay. Yeah. So you've been, you made it all over around the South here. Okay. Yeah. 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 I've been, uh, been across the Southeast, not to mention that, you know, I'll shout out Greenville, South Carolina as well. That was an interesting time in my life too. Okay. So when, um, were you, were you raised a Christian? Were you, you know, were you raised in the faith? How, how'd that go for you? So initially, um, I'll say, I was raised in the faith. I, you know, we went to uh church pretty consistently, you know, it was those mornings, you know, as a kid, you're just dreading because you got to get dressed up and, you know, you put on the suit and tie and, you know, at like eight years old, you know, I got a full suit on, you know, and I don't know too many eight year olds who really want to wear a full suit, you know, all day. Only thing we're really thinking about is playing and, you know, playing video games, etc. But Yeah. All right. All right. Um, okay. So you were, you were kind of in the church, but you didn't necessarily feel connected. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. It, it, at that point in my time, in, in my life, it was more, uh, I got the knowledge and I was getting the understanding of, you know, the Bible stories themselves, but it didn't really have any kind of effect in my life per se. You know, I didn't relate to anything that was going on in the book of Genesis and learning about Noah's Ark. Those things weren't really appealing to me because it didn't seem like reality okay yeah and that's um it's funny how that works you hear the stories but until you get a connection with life until it all fits together um with you almost like in your heart yeah um it just seems like a story most definitely yeah most definitely Um, okay so what what happened after after that, mm, so transition, yeah, transition yeah. So the transitioning point was a hard one, Luke. Honestly, it was, um, you know, I grew up with um, with my, my my mother and my stepfather. You know, we were at my grandfather and grand, you know, grandmother's house for first two years, and then after that, you know, they they got married and 
you know, we all moved in together and I had a, you know, I have a stepbrother who, you know, I look at, you know, no different than a blood brother or any other close family member. It's just, you know, I love him dearly. But at the time, you know, it was blending a household and uh, I'm sure he had his growing pains with me and, you know, as I did with him, but it was always fun. I always had him as, a, you know, somebody to lean back on. But, you know, I had my stepfather and um, my mother and um, we were together in our household for about 14 years, you know, 14 good years, it seemed. Um, and things seemed to take a, a bit of a turn, um, you know. We had nights where, you know, you, you know, you just want to, uh, wish never happened, but they do happen, you know, and, um, it was a lot of, uh, domestic violence. It was a lot of, it was a lot of altercations fueled by addictions, which we were alcohol and, uh, what have you, just to name, you know, a few, um, not to go into, you know, too many drastic details, but okay. it was, it was, it was, it was tough, you know, as a kid, you don't know how to process these things, sure. you know, um, you, you see, you know, your parents fighting, you, you know, arguments are one thing, but when you see, you know, you know, fist to fist, you start thinking, okay, this can't be normal, but if it is, you know, I guess I have to deal with it. And as a kid, it really, it really hurt me because, um, you know, obviously no, no young boy, you know, wants to see his mother harm, you know, that was one thing that, always uh bothered me is that I was so young and I wasn't able to defend her in any other way other than, you know, I think that was the first time I ever prayed and really meant what I said to God is is when these situations were taking place. Um because I knew I couldn't go through my earthly father at that point. And so at that point I knew that there was a father that I'd heard about in Sunday school and I was like, well, let me give this guy a try since I can't get through to my earthly father, you know. And, um, you know, I prayed that, you know, they would stop fighting and, you know, that all of the problems would just go away. You know, as a kid, you, you like to think that, you know, prayer just works like magic in a sense. Like it's abracadabra, boom, your problems are solved. Exactly. Um, and that's so far fetched from the reality. The reality was that the problems were going away in that sense, but new problems were on the horizon, you know. Okay. And um Do you want to get into to that more? Yeah, yeah, where most definitely. This, where are we at at this age range? Here? Yeah, yeah. So this is Yeah, yeah. This is um early teenage years. This is going on thirteen, fourteen. This was the first time that, you know, I experienced like a um a lie, you know, um, a lie from a, a, a parental figure. And that, that was tough because, you know, now we're at the age of 13, 14, we kind of get an understanding of how adults are and what things take place, you know, and, um, you know, I, I came to my mom in a, in a subtle way and the only way that I knew that was, you know, possible. And, um, I wrote in my Bible, as a matter of fact, we were going to, um, a seven day Adventist church in Stark, Florida at the time. And, um, one day during the service, I was just writing, um, because I felt something wrong in my spirit. And, um, and, and upon that, I, um, I wrote based on how I was feeling and, and I felt like my mother was not being honest with my dad, you know, at that time. And 
and I wrote in there and is in the back of the Bible. It was, it was strange how it played out, but I, um, I wrote, you know, I felt like my mother is, um, is cheating on my father, you know, essentially is what I wrote in that. And, um, I don't, I really to this day don't know quite what possessed me to do that, man, you know, other than, you know, it's God, you know, it's God convicting either my mother, my father, whatever it's going on, but God's working his way in something because there's no way that a 13, 14 year old would just do this and in a non-confrontational way, you know, it's in a way that only God could set up because it's in my Bible too. So that means, you know what, somebody's got to be opening that Bible. Somebody's got to be looking through it and, you know, they find this and I can only imagine how my mother felt on the other end of that. You know, to this day, we haven't really spoke on that. And then, you know, I pray for the day that we get a chance to. But that was a, a crushing moment. We talk about, like, what we're going through in, in our crushing group now with me and you, you know, and everybody from our journey. Um, but that was a, a moment where mom, mom sat me aside later on and she did confront me about what I wrote about. And I... Um, you know, I was sitting in the Walmart parking lot in Stark. So, you know, maybe 20 cars were there at the time. You know, it's really open, really empty lot, man. It's not a lot of people in this town. But, um, you know, she says, she says, son, you think that I'm cheating on your dad? And uh, I said, you know, not. Nah, it was reluctantly. You know, it wasn't something that you just want to just say, yeah, mom, I do. You know, it was like a a whimper. You know, it was. Yeah, you know, it was, it came out and it needed to come out because that moment that it did, her eyes flooded with tears, you know, and it was almost as if like, yeah, you're on to me and I appreciate you for putting that out there because it's been such a weight on me too. But rather than admitting it, you know, for whatever reason, you know, she denounced it and, um, it carried on, um, Let's let's skip forward a little bit from that moment. Um, you know, they eventually met each other with ultimatums, um, divorced and such. Um, and you know, we we moved to um, Tennessee at this time, um, and then we came back. It was just like a, it was kind of like a bouncing back and forth kind of thing at this point. And I may have my my timeline a little obscure. I apologize if I jump around. That's okay. But um, sometimes it's how sometimes it's how these feelings and emotions hit you, and yeah, you know, you go through what's in, important now compared to what was important then, and uh, a lot of times we reflect so much on this stuff that we just don't we don't fully even understand ourselves until we get get in these situations. Yeah, so, uh, that was the catalyst for when. What we, you knew as a family nucleus was no more, and what, did that send you off in a path to bad patterns yourself? Uh, yes, most definitely, most definitely. Okay. I feel like this is a natural thing that we do as humans. We see, we we seek out what we don't have, um, and in any shape and form that it can be. Mine was family, and at the time, um, you know, the only kind of family that I seemed to find was in the streets, you know. And um, this was in Atlanta, Georgia. You know, I'm 15 years old at this time. Um, and, you know, I was involved in, in, in street activities, you know, gang life um, in high school. And, you know, 
the times that I was in school was just to be there just to show up and show face and show off a new outfit, honestly, because outside of that, my life was, you know, you know, running around Atlanta with, you know, <laughs> my boys, man, getting into trouble, man, you know, name a few, you know, I, I've been in many of situations that I never foreseen myself in, you know, in, in that moment. You can't tell yourself that though. You're just living life, you know. It was a time when, you know, I went to go buy a, a, a gun, right? It was, um, it was, it was a pistol. It was a pistol. It was an ever elusive pistol. And I say it's ever elusive because we were robbed three times trying to purchase this gun. <laughs> you, you think that, you know, you learn your lesson, you know, after, you know, first or maybe even the second time. But no, this, there was multiple occasions, you know, um, again, with the Walmart, right? This is Atlanta Walmart, so it's a little more populated, so a little more witnesses. But either way, the, the transaction took place, and um, my friend, who you know, God bless his soul, man. You know, he's not necessarily my friend now, but, you know, was a friend at the time. You know, he, he gathered up our money and he went into a car and came back with a book bag. And the book bag had, like, uh, you know, the gun in it. And, uh, you know, we opened up the book bag after the guy who came to, you know, sell us the gun drove off. And there were soup cans in there. You know, it's Campbell's Chunky Noodle Soup, man. And, um, Definitely not what we were after, but at the time, you know, it was um, definitely a humbling experience. And there was multiple, you know, times after that. And, you know, I, I even did some spoken word on it later on in life when I was, um, like, reflecting on what took place. Okay. And, uh, and it, was just, it was just funny to look back on. But that's just to name one instance, you know, what I was going through at that time. You know, I got really into, um, like, smoking marijuana pretty heavily um i was drinking you know this is at 15 years old you know and um 15 16 years old and man it just life didn't make sense unless i was you know out of my body you know for a long time sure so i would say you know from listening to this i would say you you were searching for something that you were missing in yeah. the family and you thought you had found that in the street life yeah but as you were in the street life, you still didn't feel fulfilled with that. So then you started to numb the pain of the of that missing feeling with drugs and alcohol. That's not yeah. right. Nah, man, you have a really good way of um, summarizing exactly what I was trying to get at, man. That's 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 great. That's um, spot on. Um, from how that, long, how long did you go through that? Uh, that was a rough period of about three years, three, four years, okay. um, 15 to about 19. Yeah. Okay. So now you're square into adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. And none of that has worked out for you. Yeah. No, nah, you keep falling flat. I keep falling flat on my face. You know, I'm left empty, you know, still, still searching, uh, moving back and forth, you know, from, you know, from Atlanta to, uh, Jacksonville, trying to find my way. You know, at a certain point, I think I was like 18 years old, 17 and a half, 18 years old. You know, something came over my spirit at that time, you know, and I didn't know it was my spirit, obviously, because again, I'm, I'm lost in the sauce at this point, you know. Okay. But something told me that I needed more discipline. It was the strangest thing to me. It was just, I woke up one morning and said, you know what, where I'm living at, my mom, nah, we're not getting that discipline that I had. I need it. I need structure. 
okay. I sought after it. So I sought after that structure. That was the first step into, I think, really cleansing my life up, you know, and 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 it's not by myself because it, it wasn't my direction by any means. But I go back and I, I stay with my stepfather, um, you know, seeking that that same structure, and I get this this kind of like understanding that, well, you're an adult now, you know, the the structure is created by you, you are you are the structure at this point. So I still dabbled in street type of. Um, you know, activities, uh, to say the least. And, um, it was just, it, it was a, um, it was a learning curve at that point from 18 to about 19. And, um, you know, I got, yeah, I eventually graduated, um, and I got kicked out of my stepfather's house. And that led me to a little bit of resentment towards him, you know, and, um, I moved back to Atlanta and um had a falling out with my mother too. So now here comes the isolation period. You know, here comes the point where I'm out in, you know, Greenville, South Carolina because I took a job there because I wanted to get away from all of the problems, all of the negativity, but things that I had created and things that had been dealt to me, you know, and um I just I just went out there to try to get a, a fresh restart. And I think God was really working on my heart there because had I never gone to South Carolina, had I never taken the job that I did, had I never, you know, been staying at this extended stay that I was staying at for that time period, because, you know, my, my company was providing me with a a short term housing until, you know, I I got my own place and was on my feet. Um, Had I not been at the extended stay, I never would have came across and, and, and people think I'm crazy when I say this, but it's okay. Um, an angel that night, you know, there was an angel one night in, in South Carolina, man, who called me by name. I was in the lobby of this extended state coming in from a long night at the job. I stopped by Ale House, had me a drink or two, and I came into the lobby. He says, Marcus. And I look at it. I'm looking around like, oh, I don't know anybody here. You know, I'm Greenville, South Carolina. Again, I have no family in this place. Okay. He says Marcus again, and and it confirmed, you know, what I was thinking. Oh, he is saying my name. Okay, let me approach this guy. I said, yes, sir, what's up? And he says, are you equipped to handle the spiritual warfare that's going to take place tonight? I said, what? You know, like, (laughs) spiritual warfare, you're just laying something on me, a whole new concept. He said, he stops me right before I speak. He says, what are you fighting for? I said, Fighting? What am I fighting for? So I came up with a quick answer, something that just popped in my head. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm fighting for equality. That's the first thing I could come up with. Okay. You know, I want to be seen as an equal individual. He said, son, let me stop you there. You're fighting a, a war of the flesh. You know, you're fighting something that you're never going to win. So at the end of the day, the only thing that really is taking place inside of you is an internal warfare with your spirit and your flesh. And I said, well, all right, okay. This guy, he must have been at Ale House too, you know. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's definitely not, you know. You know, it, it, it sounded foreign to me. Everything was foreign sure. to me. Yeah, to someone that isn't at that level of spirituality, it, it sounds crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So you, absolutely. You found this crazy guy, 
talking to you at the lobby. Yeah, in Greenville, South Carolina, you know, okay. and I'm just sitting here like, okay. So I took everything that he said into in the play, and I can't recollect the whole conversation, but needless to say, a lot of it centered around calling upon the name of Jesus, calling upon the blood of Jesus to repent and also to cast away spirits and such that would come and see me later that night. You know, he told me, he basically prophesied in this lobby that I would be seen by Satan himself that night because he wanted to <laughs> convey a message to me, basically send a henchman, you know. Okay. And so that same night, man, and man, I sound crazy telling the story, but it's okay. okay. Um, check if, this. If, it, if it's what happened. It's what yeah, it's, man, this is, I, I, I wish I could make it up because sometimes, you know, it just <laughs> doesn't seem, you know, real, but. I lay down in the extended stay, you know, I'm sleeping um, around like one or two-ish, you know, I'm finally getting to a point where I'm comfortable enough to fall asleep. I'm still kind of anticipating what he's saying, but then, you know, I chop it up as just, you know, just crazy talk, honestly. And uh, I wake up that night and I feel a presence, you know, and it definitely felt as such, you know, felt like Satan himself was there trying to hold me back from speaking. And, um... You know, I, I wanted to talk so bad, you know, and I wanted to say something, you know, just even to myself, but I couldn't muster up the courage or the words to say. And so I couldn't, I couldn't verbally say anything. So I rolled out of bed and I just hit my knees and I just hit my knees and I stayed there. And that was the first night I started talking in, 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 in what some people would call tongue, but it may have been gibberish. It, it just was a, a means for me to talk to God one-on-one without Satan interrupting. And that was, that was a really powerful moment in my spiritual awakening and understanding that I was called for much more than just what I had been doing prior to leading up to this, these dark roads that I had been down. Finally got a glimmer of light. Um, you know, and with that light, man, I took it and, and, and I kind of brushed it off for a little bit. You know, you, you get these, these moments in life where you're like, okay, all right, God wants to talk to me and he gives me a little bit of power here and there, but you know, he doesn't actually need me. He doesn't want me to be in this army. You know, you start doubting. Yeah, sure. That, um, I think anybody that's hit that spiritual rock bottom, less of a better term, where you're at, you're, you know, wits in, you're done. You, you know, we, we always talk about getting, you know, getting down on our knees, right? To surrender for God. And, yeah. You know, there's two different ways of getting there. You know, you can choose or sometimes life can beat you down there. Yeah. You don't get on your knees either way. Right. And I think you might have been at one of those stages. Mm. Um, but the oftentimes when we get there, we might recognize what's happening, but we might not get the full gravity of the situation. Yeah. And we're so used to living the way we've been living and what we've been doing, we almost just brush it off. And it's sometimes like we need another, another like spiritual whack upside the head or another reminder or something to remind us, Oh yeah, that, that happened. This is real. Um, now the, speaking from my own personal experience, I'd say that a lot of times when that happens, um, oftentimes when you hit that surrender, things that start showing themselves to you that you've never seen before. Um, your eyes are opened in a lot of ways, right? Mm, very much so. It, it, can you speak on some of that? 
my eyes tend to, well, tended to, I should say, to try to, again, cast everything off as just, you know, um, what do they call those, like, um, coincidence, you know, sure. per se. And um, I quickly realized there's no such thing as coincidence in life. You know, there, there's no such thing as coincidences in life and that everything that I go through is meant just for me to go through and to grow through in, in that, in that realm. Um, as I transitioned, you know, from, from South Carolina back to Atlanta for one more time, um, and I started to ground myself in things that, that mattered more so than just chasing the earthly things that made me feel okay after my eyes were open and my eyes were open in the fact that pursuing pursuing everything that wasn't of God is just clearly a dead end road and um it it brought me closer you know and it it really um like I say, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm losing my train of thought on this, but it, it, I'm just taking back to Atlanta, man, because these times, man, just, I didn't know. I was just going through the motion. I was just going through the motion. I'd go to church again. You know, I went to my safe haven. You know, I wanted to re, revamp that spiritual life. Okay. And I was still battling this whole flesh versus spirituality thing, you know, and obviously it's a, it's a long it's a everlasting life battle for us. Yeah, it's still for both of us. We can we can say right now, it's still not over. Yes, sir. It's never over by any means. Uh, right. It may get a little bit easier. You may get a little more disciplined. You may fall back more on what you've learned in your sanctification process. Right. But it's never over. Over. Right. It's not like that. I, I feel like sometimes people feel that way that. You know, as Christians, we just flip a switch and everything's, oh, you know, magical. Yeah, it's right, right. It's the farthest thing from the truth. I think we can both attest to the fact that when you start moving in the right direction, that's when um, the evil starts coming at you hard. Most definitely. That's when the sin starts, you know, they start putting rounds in. Yeah. Trying to get you back to where you were because they can't stand to see you in the freedom that you found as a Christian. Right, right. Um, but the more you double down on your faith and dig deeper into it, you... It's the same. You win the fight every sevenfold, right? Yeah. You know, sevenfold. It's been restored, you know, and then some. Amen. And 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 that's man. <laughs> Talking about that reminds me, you know, and just how far I've come from that point, and how far like God is carrying me through. Because it, if it were left just to me, Luke, it just it it wouldn't it wouldn't take place. I'd still be somewhere in, you know, Atlanta, maybe even still in a jail cell, you know. Sure. And um, I didn't know I didn't know you back then. Yeah. But I know this Marcus now. And right. To hear um, the lifestyle that you lived or the things that you went into, they're unfathomable to me. So that shows the change um, that has gone on in your life, this transformation that is just amazing. What do you think was it was a cornerstone for you? For, for helping to make that transition? What what did you have to do for yourself and for others and everything else like that? Mm. Um, outside of outside of going to jail, <laughs> that was a big one. That was a big one, right? So that was a awakening moment for me. Um and I and I and I say for me because it 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 brought about discipline. Um 
you know, I was in, I was in jail and I only spent one night, but one night, man, that was enough to change my life for ultimately the better and kind of just, you know, hammer in all the lessons that I had been learning up until this point. But, um, you know, I spent that night in jail and, um, afterwards I, I was put on probation. And, and then even after that, I got, uh, a speeding ticket in Georgia of all things, uh, super speeding ticket is what they refer to it as. And, um, the fine was so substantial that I wasn't able to pay it. And therefore I had to be put on probation with another County in, in Georgia. So, uh, shout out to those two counties, man, for, you know, making my life, um, pretty stressful, but it taught me a lot. Um, so being that I was on probation with both of these counties, right. Um, I had community service to adhere to, uh, 114 or so hours. And, um, so every morning I would, you know, wake up around five thirty-six to get ready to go to uh, community service. And I would go pick up litter on the side of the road, you know, and during that time, it was it was kind of like a quiet time, you know, not too many people talking, not too many people, you know, conversing. And if they are, it's not necessarily anything positive and you don't want to engage in it, most likely, you know. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, you know, I, I created a routine to where when I was picking up trash, obviously, is a lesson to be learned about, you know, not doing the wrong thing, but also. It was also another lesson of not littering too, you know, cause you see how just destructive it can be. You know, it's, I, you know, from that point on, I never threw anything outside of a car at, at all. And still to this day, I carry that same philosophy. I will walk the extra mile, bro, to get to that trash can before I allow it to touch the grounds. But, you know, to get back to the story of, of, of the discipline that was being created was me getting up at, you know, 536 in the morning, going to community service at seven, um, spending four hours there, you know, having about 30 minutes to myself to get dressed and to go to work because I still had to, you know, provide for myself at this point. Um, and I was working as a, a restaurant manager, uh, fast food joint. And, um, I was there from one o'clock in the afternoon to about 11 or 12, give or take the weekday weekend, probably one. And, um, you know, I had about a 45 minute commute. So all together, I spent about, you know, an hour and a half on the road throughout my day, four hours doing community service and another eight to 10 hours working very little time to myself at that point. It was, um, a real touch and go moment for me. It was, um, it was a moment that man, it got dark too. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not saying, you know, I was just all, you know, Bible beating myself to, you know, and, you know, quoting scriptures as I was walking. It wasn't like that. You know, I was still going through my fleshly worldly battles, but throughout all that on the other end of that, it taught me, it taught me to value my freedom and not only just this world, but in the spiritual realm itself too, because when you're free in this world, you can also be free in the spirit. You see, we get these these confines that try to hold us in, right? These institutions that that want to take away your freedom to make you feel like you're trapped, right? Obviously, I put myself there. I put myself in there, and spiritually and physically, I had to deliver myself from the physical, but I couldn't deliver myself from the spiritual. 
the spiritual portion of it was my discipline that I had created by doing this routine over and over and over. I said, well, if I can give the state of Georgia this amount of time every day, what is it to give God 30 minutes, you know, an hour out of my day and to carry that on? And, you know, that that just kind of manifested from there and grew. It grew from that point, man. But then to go back on it, I had to get it. I had to wipe away a lot of the... A lot of the negativity, you know, which meant that I had to go back to what really started it all, um, you know, which was the separation of the family, et cetera. So it was a forgiveness factor that, that came into play. Okay. And forgiveness. Yeah, and forgiveness. Yeah, I had to forgive my mother. I had to forgive my father. And I think most importantly, I really had to forgive myself um, because I, you know, I I knew all of the things that I did were wrong up until this point in my life. You know, as far as like, you know, acting out on the parents, you know, and you know, taking advantage of situations, you know, harming myself by, you know, putting intoxications, you know, and and just man, you really have to start with the core, and that's yourself, you know, because. If you don't forgive you, how is anybody else going to at any point in life, you know? And how how are you to give the forgiveness if you can't, you know, take it for yourself, you know? And and so that was a big that was a big moment for me to to really take in that forgiveness, man. How does that tie into your Christian faith? The idea of forgiveness. Oh man, it ties in by just you know first and foremost, like I said, you know, forgiving my mother. So with my Christian faith imply, you know, with with that in play, right? I got a lot of um I got a lot of replays in my head of what what I did wrong, right? These okay. these these uh, what I call rewind moments, right? Sure. And so with these rewind moments in your growing Christian faith, you get convicted. And I don't I don't know I can only speak on myself, but in these moments of conviction, it'll be like 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, and I'll just start bawling. You know, I'll start crying, you know, to myself, you know, and I want to call. So I'll call. I'll call my mom. Hey, mom, you remember when I was 15 and I did this and, you know, how it made you feel? And she'd be like, boy, are you crazy? You good? You you, you all right right now? You know, I'm like, no, mom, I'm, I'm good. I'm even better. I just want you to forgive me for this because I am so sorry, you know, and I'd make these apologies that would just, it, this was going on for a span of, man, three, four months, man. She'd just get random calls from me. And it'd just be, you know, I just, you know, apologize to her, you know, for things that I'd done wrong. And it was, it was so, it was so, it was great to get that weight off, you know. It was great to acknowledge my faults. It was great to understand that. I can, you know, take this chip off my shoulder and, you know, I can walk light now and I can work on going forward, not putting myself in those same predicaments again, not going to the extreme that I would go to before, you know, in the sense of disrespect, in the sense of, you know, uh, lying, um, you know, whatever it may be, you know, it, it just like you said earlier, you know, we don't fall back as far through our sanctification so now i realized you know my faults and again they were replaying and this lasted man this was this was a period for about a year where any and everybody family members friends you know 
uh, random people, you know, at work with, I would get these moments of conviction and I would just literally call them, text them, whatever it may be in that moment and apologize to them for exactly what it, you know, had taken place that I felt like I had wronged them or, you know, done them wrong. This, this went on with, with, with whoever and whenever, honestly. So if you got a random text from me, about three years ago, you know, anybody listening, I'm sorry, you know, again, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, that forgiveness was a big step for me, big step for me. Right on, yeah, I know, um, it's when, when you get that conviction, yeah, it's almost easy for you to forgive others, as yeah, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it's, it feels like how I'm built, but when it comes time to forgive yourself mm-hmm. for the things that you've contributed um, to the to the negativity, right? That um, you find it can be a lot harder, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that I know uh, that's when I double down in prayer. Um, I really get reminded of the fact that you know uh, the way Jesus died for our sins, and the way you know God gave up His only Son as a perfect sacrifice for us, you know, for the forgiveness of our sins, really. Um, should make it easy for us. I mean, he gave up all that for our, for us to, to be forgiven. Why, why can't we forgive, you know, someone that wronged us in this life, you know, over sometimes, I mean, let's say for an example, um, the, the issues that you had with your, your mother and family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what, maybe it wasn't always the best, but for the majority of decisions, I think your mom probably tried the best she could. Yeah, she without probably, a doubt. Yeah, she you know was working within the compounds of what was going on. Right. So now, at least for the majority of things that happened, those things may not be malicious. Right. 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 Um. So you know that that should almost be easy to forgive because they were doing the best they can. So how many times have we made decisions? Right. And done things where you know we. We're straight up malicious, yeah. you know, in some of our thoughts and actions and deeds, and yet God can still forgive us for right. those things, right? So, I I find like that really helps me understand um, to be able to give forgiveness to people in my life that that I need to give it to. Because I mean, the Bible says we need to forgive everyone, right, right, right. Um, and you know, we could always another time get into the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation because they are two very different things. And if someone has wronged you in a way, um, you can give forgiveness for yourself to take that weight off of you. Mm-hmm. But you may not necessarily need to reconcile that relationship so you don't put yourself in that situation again. And, um, but we could go on and on and on about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything else, Marcus, that you feel like you want to share with the audience um, about maybe someone that's that maybe is at that rock bottom, someone that is, you know, at the, at the point where you found – where you found Jesus, is there anything you would like to say to them? Man, <laughs> there's so much I could say to them, man. You might have to create another podcast for us, man. <laughs> but um, to start with, uh, and on a serious note, is that God has not forsaken you. And I mean that in the utmost sincere way, is that God has not left us. He is not. He's never abandoned us. Even when we don't see him, man, he's working. You know, he's always looking, always looking to help. He's just waiting on you 
He may not be looking for him, but he's definitely looking for you. Exactly. Exactly. He's always waiting, you know, and my grandfather always said, you know, the master, he always refers to you know, the Lord as the master. He says, you know, the master, master's just waiting on you. He's, he's always waiting on you. It's never, it's never that the, the reverse, the reverse of that. It's, it's always us just waiting on God, you know, or God waiting on us, excuse me. So I'll say this. If, if you feel like there is a certain blockage, like, like as if there's like a weight on you and saying, nah, I can get it on my own because, you know, God let me go through all this so I don't need him or whatever it may be. Believe me when I tell you as soon as you break that chip off your shoulder and just allow God to really, really make moves in your life and in the smallest ways it may be. You know, we had, we had a guy in our, um, our crushing group, you know, refer to the small amount of trust he started with God on and just waking him up at five o'clock in the morning without his alarm clock. And I think that was a perfect example of how you can begin to trust God. And, you know, you can work through the faith of a mustard seed. And if you give him that to work with, man, watch what he does with you and watch what he, watch what he grows. Yeah. All you got to do is surrender and fully surrender. Not, not something that you say, but in your heart, you got to let it go. You got to say, I can't do it on my own. Please help me. And I promise you, he's going to be right there to pick up the pieces. So, yes, sir. That being said, why don't we go ahead and end this bad boy? Yes, sir. Sounds good. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this time. I want to thank you for our brother Marcus has come here and laid his heart out for the world to hear. Lord, and I pray and hope that somebody, somebody around the world listens to this podcast and needed to hear these words and they can understand and they've been there and maybe this you know, this one podcast may help them, you know, finally surrender and open their eyes to you, Lord, so you can be there, pick up all the pieces. Lord, thank you for everything that you've done in our lives, the blessings. Lord, thank you for the trials and the tribulations to bring us closer to you and to show us exactly why we need you in this world and we cannot rely on ourselves. We pray all these things in your almighty and all. Yes, we name. do, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir.